All right. Good morning, Harmony. Good morning. So I had a fun week uh, this week. On Thursday, I took my son to go see the like opening night of Spider-Man: Homecoming because we're big superhero fans in our house. And what's great about being a dad of like a toddler is you can blame all of your superhero geek stuff on your kids. So you can be like, oh, well, it's not for me. It's because it's Tyler wants to go see it. So we went to go see the movie. Uh, great fun. Ty had a blast. He got the Spider-Man popcorn, the Spider-Man soda. So he just thought it was the greatest thing in the entire world. We come out. We go to our car. And I'm putting him in the back seat. And I see all this like reflection. And someone had smashed out our rear window. Glass was all over the back seat. Um, I had sillily left my backpack in the car which my backpack had all my workout stuff, it had all my USA work stuff, and then it had my uh, church stuff. And it was funny because, you know, I'm like, hey, it happens, it is what it is. But Tyler, he was on fire. Okay, the whole way driving home, he's like, I am so angry right now. He's like, Dad, was that like a real bad guy? Like a real bad guy did this to our car? And I'm like, Yes, a real person did a bad thing. And he's like, they stole your Bible. And I said, yeah, they did. I said, who knows, maybe they'll read it. And he goes, Dad, why aren't there real life superheroes? If there would have been a real Spider-Man there, he would have stopped the real bad guy, and then none of this would have happened. And I was like, good point. It's a very good point, but this is how it works. And so the whole way home, what was funny is I didn't really get to get angry because I was just trying to calm the five-year-old in the back seat down. And it was funny, though, because it was one of those moments where like, it was so real to him about one of his first real-life experiences of there's bad people who sometimes do bad things to us. I mean, he, he'd heard about that. He knows we've taught him about that. But this was like his first real encounter with it. And what's funny about us is, is that reaction he had will probably be similar to the same reaction he'll have when he's 40 or 50 and that kind of stuff happens. There's something in us that even though we have thousands of experiences that show us bad things sometimes happen, there's this mindset we sometimes have that like, that's not supposed to be the way it works. That's not supposed to be what happens. Like, do you ever find yourself in a situation, a lot of times in relationships, where a person does something to you that they've done millions of times, but yet you're still shocked? Ever have that happen? Like the person who always lies to you, lies to you again, and you're like, can you believe they did that? And what you really want to be like is, yeah, yeah, I'd actually been shocked had they told me the truth, because that's never actually happened. And so what's interesting about us is we have this natural mindset. And I think what it is, is I think it, it's us pulling back to what God created us for. We expect there to be decency. We expect there to be goodness. We expect there to be fairness. And we still struggle living in this world where those things often don't happen. And so as we look through Ephesians, what we're looking at as we close in this book is Paul kind of comes to this point for his readers. He's been talking throughout the book about all kinds of different things, but he ends with kind of just shaking him a bit to go, remember real life. Remember real life. Now, I'm going to give you one little side note. Today was supposed to be the last sermon of this series. But a funny thing happened. I was writing the sermon. I got about three verses in, and I had enough material that I was like, there is no way I can get through all these tomorrow. So we're going to actually have like a sub-series to the series in Ephesians focused on the armor of God. 
All right? So let me recap for those who have missed what we talked about so far in Ephesians. In Ephesians chapters 1 through 3, God really is talking through Paul about you. He's saying, here's who you are. Here's what you've been through. Here's how you've changed. And so he points out this picture of you were a sinner, you were lost, you were facing death, but then God came and in forgiveness offered you new life. He's taken that debt away. He's lifted you up not only to be forgiven, but to be royalty in heaven. And you now are one with God. You're his ambassador and you are part of the church. This almighty, awesome organism made up of millions of different believers who have come together in one heart, one mind, and one spirit. And so 1 through 3 really is just about you. Who are you? Then in Ephesians chapters 4 through 6, he starts to talk about how you live and where you're going. So hey, great, we know who you are, but who you are should impact your behavior. It should impact the way you live. It should impact the things that you do. And so this is where he starts to talk about things like sexual morality, about raising children, about how your marriages should work. He's talking about these outward experiences that people see that in many ways dictate how your life will be lived. And so Ephesians 1 through 3, who you are. Ephesians 4 through 6, where you're going and how you live. And as he comes to a conclusion, he kind of reminds us of a verse that I keep referring to as kind of the key to the series. As we've talked throughout Ephesians, what we've said is, is when we talk about God's standard for sexual morality, when we talk about God's standard for marriage, when we talk about God's standard for raising children, the reality is the bar is high. It's unbelievably high. And I keep telling you, in many ways, it's not just difficult, it's impossible. It's impossible if you're trying to accomplish them in and of your own self. If you're relying on your wisdom, your power, your love, your forgiveness, you will never meet God's bar. Can't do it. Just not possible. However, it is possible if you're not relying on you. And so in John 15, 5, there's this verse we keep coming back to about how Jesus describes his relationship with us. He says, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. So Jesus goes, yes, unbelievably difficult. In fact, impossible. But nothing is impossible with Christ. And so if in our lives, instead of us going, I will power through this off my own wisdom and knowledge, and I will only go to God when I fail, if we will change that mindset, instead go, you know what, I'm going to wake up in the morning, and instead of going, what does Luke want to do? How would Luke handle this? I'm going to go, you know what, God, I'm going to go to you first. God, what's your game plan? God, I need your love, I need your strength, I need your forgiveness, I need you to be the vine that pours your power and your love into my life. And so instead of me running off of my ability, I'm running off of God's ability. Then all of a sudden, this stuff becomes possible. Now, the reason I want to lead with this is because what Paul's going to talk to us in about Ephesians chapter 6 is, is the reality of living this out. Because when you first kind of think about it, you're like, wait a minute. I have direct access to Jesus' love, Jesus' power, Jesus' strength, Jesus' patience. Life should be easy. If I can directly pull from that power source, my goodness, this should be kind of easy to do. 
And so in Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 through 13, he pulls us back to reality. He says, yes, all these things are true, but never forget the world you look in. So if you look at Ephesians chapter 6, let's look at verses 10 through 13. It says, finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. So you, so you get what he's saying here? He's saying, look, I've told you all these things about who you are and where to go, but don't forget, you live on a battlefield. You here on earth will live constantly and perpetually in a state of spiritual warfare. Now, why is that important? Why is that important for us to take hold of, to think about, to know, and to live in day in and day out. To me, it kind of went to a sports analogy, which my head often goes to sports analogies. But there are two sports where your primary goal is as fast as you possibly can to cross a finish line or a goal line. Now, these two sports, while you have the same objective, they're both very different in their difficulty level because of one major factor. One of the sports is track. And in track, what you do is you line up at a starting line and they tell you, as fast as you can, go cross that line down there. And so when the gun goes off, what do you do? You run as fast as you possibly can to get past that line. And the beauty of it is, is if you're fast, if you're in shape, it's not hard to do. In fact, of all sports, there's some races that only last nine seconds. Nine seconds and you're done. Did anybody ever run track in high school? I ran track in high school and I always loved the events because you know what's funny? You'd drive for hours to some place, you'd be there for six hours or eight hours for the meet, and you'd be on the court for like 10 seconds. You spend 30 seconds on the track and the rest of the day you're just sitting watching. Now, there's another sport where your goal is to cross the line as fast as you can, but it's very different in its difficulty level. Why? Because there's someone trying to stop you. So you see this guy in the red here? He was trying to cross the goal line. But unlike in track, where it's just him running as fast as he can, what did he run into? An equally talented person who decided he was going to stop him. And in this picture, it doesn't end up very well for him, does it? This was especially for the Steelers fans here. I know there's a few of you guys. In football, the difference between it and track is, is though you're running fast, you have a whole group of people going, you ain't crossing that line. You try as hard as you want, we're going to try as hard as we can to stop you. And so what Paul's trying to do is shake people up to realize you're not running track. In the Christian life, you're playing football. In the Christian life, this isn't about, well, you're powered. You're equipped. Just run and it'll be easy. No obstacles. You've got a smooth little surface waiting for you. Nice little lines that show you how to stay in the track. No, that's not how it works. The Christian life is you running and an enemy trying to take your head off. Day in and day out. And so Paul goes, 
Look, yes, you have Christ's power. Yes, you have this ability. But never, ever forget there's an enemy. There's an enemy. And that's so important for you and I to know because here's the reality. The longer we live, the more we will have events like my son had this week, which will remind us that what? Life is hard. Life is difficult. Life can be painful. Life will have those moments that have you stopping going, why is this happening? And what Paul wants his people to be strong enough and mature enough to do is that when those moments come, they don't go, I, I, I don't know what happened. What was that? That instead they'll stand there and go, no, this is the life we live. I'm at war. I'm not surprised someone shot at me. And so he's trying to give us this perspective to understand this is the way the Christian life works. So let's break down these first three verses a few. Ephesians 6.10 Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His might. So kind of going back to like John 15.5, what's Paul saying? Don't be strong yourself. Be strong where? In the Lord. Be strong in the strength of His might. I was listening to John MacArthur talk about this. He's one of my favorite pastors. And he said, the way he's always thought of it is it's like he's the watch guard. And so he's guarding the fort. And when he sees the enemy army marching towards him, he realizes it would be silly for him by himself, individually, to go charge them. If you would see hundreds of people coming to attack your city and that one little guard would run out with a sword and go, I'm going to stop them, that guy's going to lose. But if instead, that guard goes, let me go to the commander. Let me go to the commander. Let me get him. And he's going to get the whole army together. He's going to come with his force. He's going to come with his strength. And when these guys get here, they're in trouble. And so again, brothers and sisters, I know I've said this like a million times throughout the series, but please listen to this. Those of you who are treating God and Jesus like your backup plan, you are living it completely wrong. This is not about you coming to your point of exhaustion and then falling up on your backup plan and going, Christ, help me out. i got nowhere else to go. This is about you first and foremost going to Him from the beginning. That is the difference between you being the servant or you being the Lord. When you go to Jesus as your backup plan, you're acting like you're in charge. Because what you're basically saying is, I got this. I got this. I can do this. You just sit and watch, and I'll let you know if I need you. The other one goes, I know I need you. I need you every moment, every second. I'm lost without you. Without you, I can do nothing. So the first thing I do is I go to you. And brothers and sisters, there's a lot of us as Christians, we are not living, thinking, or acting that way. We go, here's my game plan. Here's my dream. Here's my five-year plan. Here's the things I want. And then we pray and we go, God, please bless my will. God, I've given you my laundry list, my wish list of things that I want in my life. Please use your magical spirit powers to make those things happen. And then often what happens is we get confused. Because He doesn't grant our wish like a genie. And we go, well, what's going on here? I mean, God, have you been paying attention? I'm going to church. I'm serving in the ministry. 
I'm tithing, I'm doing all the things you want me to do, and yet you're not fulfilling any of my wishes. And God's looking at us going, you are confused about how this relationship works. I am the Lord and you're the servant. I come to you and I tell you what I need you to do. And you say, Father, yes, I will. Some of us have to completely change the way we're thinking and realize first and foremost, we go to the Lord. And it's His strength and it's His might that drives us. Now Paul starts here because this is a great message. What Paul's basically saying to us is, you're empowered. You're empowered. I mean, brothers and sisters, think about the beauty of that statement for a second that he makes about you being in the strength of the Lord and in His might. We're talking about Jesus. We're talking about the guy that walks on water. We're talking about the guy who said, let there be light and the sun appears. We're talking about the guy who stands toe-to-toe with Satan and goes, be gone. And Satan runs. We're talking about the guy who defeated death. We're talking about the guy that washed away the debts of all mankind with his blood. We're talking about the guy who looks at death and laughs at it because he can overcome it. And Paul goes, that power? You're part of it. That power is available to you. So brothers and sisters, what we start to realize here is this isn't like I've got some weakling standing at my back. I've got big man on campus. I've got the guy nobody can mess with standing there going, I've got you. I will give you my power. And so brothers and sisters, what we start to realize is in this war, there's no place for fear. You're afraid when you think you might lose. But what we know is we're empowered by a force that cannot be defeated. So while we still have to fight, while we still have to go out into the field, we know if we trust in Him, victory is the only option. And so He's encouraging us, be empowered in Christ. Often for many of us, the reason that we're afraid in life is because we're relying on ourselves. And guess what? We can lie to ourselves as much as we want, but you and I both know what we're good and bad at. And the reason we often become afraid is we're staring at something and we go, I will lose to this. I know this because I've lost to it many times before. So we've got to change the game and go, I'm not going to fight this fight anymore. I'm going to let Christ fight this fight through me. I'm going to let Christ take this fight because He has the ability to defeat it where I did not. That's the way we've got to think. Look at Hebrews 2.14. Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, He Himself likewise partook of the same things, that through death... He might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil. So what's Paul saying here? He's saying, brothers and sisters, if you abide in Christ, you partake in all His fights. That Christ who stood there and on that cross defeated death, if you're in Him, you actually defeated death that day too. If you're actually one with Christ, all those things we've talked about were as His victories, you just weren't a spectator, you were part of them. You've already fought these, you've already won these, you've already experienced these. That needs to bring a confidence into your life. It's why He tells us, I did not give you a spirit of timidity, but of power, of love, and of self-discipline. There should be a boldness in this room of people that no matter what God throws our way, 
whether it's bad relationships, bad health, bad finances, whatever, we boldly stand there and go, bring it. I will not back down. I will not run away. I will not be afraid. Because I stand with Christ and no one's beating Him. Amen. That's the kind of confidence we need to have. And frankly, there's a lot of us that just doesn't show up. Someone pops us in the face and we go, Whoa, wait a minute. What happened? Instead of going, Huh, I'm ready for that. That was nothing. That was nothing. We've got to have this kind of mentality in our lives, realizing if we're truly one with Him, all those victories we were part of. Look at 1 John 4.4. 4. Little children, you are from God and have overcome them. For He who is in you is greater than who is in the world. We say that a lot. Do you believe it? Do you really, truly believe it? This last political season, I saw a lot of people who say this not acting like it. I saw a lot of people acting like if a certain person won, like the world was just going to be over. And I'm like, brothers and sisters, do you think there is any person who can go to any position and all of a sudden override God's will? Do you think God doesn't know who the president's going to be? Do you not think God doesn't know what they're going to do? Do you think God's sitting there like, oh my goodness, the world is over now? No. He's God. He's in control of all those things. So when you and I watch these things happening in our lives and we reflect fear, we're forgetting this truth. He's greater than anything that is in this world. Be confident in that. You are empowered. Now look at 611. So he continues. So one, you're empowered, and then he says this. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. Amen. So not only are you empowered, but you're what? You're equipped. He's given you power, and now he's given you tools. If you will use that power, and you will use those tools, you will be able to stand firmly against those attacks. If you use them, that's the key. If you use them. The problem is, a lot of us forget that. We forget that. We forget that just because He's given it to us, it doesn't mean anything if we don't activate and use them. They have to be something we rely on. They have to be something we put into action. Look at John 14, 26. But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, He will teach you all things and bring you to remembrance all that have I said to you. I love this because in this moment when Jesus is talking to his disciples, they're scared. They're scared because he's told them, guys, the end is here. Soon I will be arrested. Soon I will be tried. Soon I will be beaten and soon I will be killed. I will overcome that, but then I will ascend to heaven. And the disciples are sitting there going, you're not going to be around? What are we going to do without you? How are we going to face this without you? And it makes complete sense because if you read the New Testament, before the Holy Spirit comes, the disciples, well, they have good intentions and they have devoted themselves completely to God. They're not exactly all-stars. They're often confused. They're often lost. They're often arguing about silly, prideful things. They're often missing simple truths that are right there in front of them. And so they're like, Jesus, if you leave, we're in trouble, man. If you're, if you're not here, how's this going to work? And he goes, guys, I'm not going to leave you unequipped. 
when I leave, I will send my Father's Spirit to you. And that Helper, He's going to empower you in a way I did. He's going to reveal to you truth. He's going to give you remembrance of the things that I've said. He's going to be your witness to the victories that we've accomplished. And so, brothers and sisters, each and every one of us that's truly a believer, if you've stood here and you've said, I am a sinner and I have done wrong and I deserve death, if you say, and I realize that there is a God the Father that sent His Son Jesus to die on the cross for me, and that in His blood and in His resurrection, my forgiveness is offered and new life is given. And you go, because of those things, I choose to submit my life to Him. Meaning, no longer am I in control, He is. Well, then that Spirit now lives in you. You're not just close to Jesus, you're one with Jesus. The Spirit of God Almighty lives in you. Now here's the problem. A lot of us, even though that's true, we don't rely on it. We don't use it. Like, have you ever done this one? I did this the other day. I have a whole... I have two toolboxes in my garage. But the other day, I was too lazy to go to the garage, and I'm using this little tiny screwdriver that I have on my key to take care of something. And even though I had way better tools that would have made the job way easier to do, I'm sitting there twisting with this little screwdriver. Why? Because I'm lazy. If I had just gotten up, walked to the garage, got the right tool, and came back, I'd probably have finished the job in like a quarter of the time. But that one was available to me. So some of you and I do. We have the spiritual ability to face these things. We have the ability to be bold, to be powerful, to be confident, to be loving, to be self-disciplined. But we're like, eh, I don't really want to do all that. I'll just take care of myself. And then we get caught in this painful process where we fail. And it was never because God didn't equip you. It was never because He didn't empower you. It was because you were too lazy to tap into what He's given you. And we've got to acknowledge that sometimes. Look at Luke 21, 36. Jesus is talking to his disciples when the end is coming. He says, but stay awake at all times, praying that you may have strength to escape all these things that are going to take place and to stand before the Son of Man. What's he saying? He's saying, wake up. Be awake. Be aware of what is around you and what is happening. The reason so many of us are doing so bad in the spiritual war is we've acted like there's no war. So we're constantly in this perplexed, confused state where if we would simply acknowledge, no, every day is going to be this. Every day is a fight. Every day is a battle. But it's a battle I'm equipped for and I'm empowered to win. It would completely change our perspectives on these things. But we've lost sight of that. You guys ever seen this picture? You can't make it out completely. It's three soldiers. And one of them's in this boxers and a t-shirt. I always laughed at this picture because this is what some of us look like on the spiritual warfare battle. Some of these soldiers woke up in the morning, they threw on their gear, they got prepared and they got ready because they knew they were at war. And they knew at any moment, anything could happen and they might be out there taking fire and returning fire. Now, I don't know this guy's story, but obviously he wasn't ready. And so when the fight broke out, what does he do? Grabs a few things and runs to the trenches. 
I'm not trying to disparage a man who's willing to die for me. But it's a pictorial representation of how some of us look. Some of us on the battlefield, we're standing there and we're in full armor. We're ready to go. And some of us are out there throwing on our shoes going, oh my goodness, what's going on? Don't be that guy. Don't be that girl. There's an interesting thing actually about the word put on the whole armor. The word put on, the way it's actually written in the native language, it's a one-time action. It's not a repeatable process. What God's really saying here is, you put that armor on, and you keep it on. It goes on, and you're in it. Every day, every moment, every second, all the time. Always ready. And I think, honestly, for some of us, that's the problem. I think a lot of us, if we'd get like this declaration that battle was about to come, we'd get prepared right. And sometimes that'd be nice, right? Wouldn't it be great like get a text message from God like, hey, Tuesday's going to be rough. Tuesday's going to be a bad day. You're going to have three or four things go wrong. You should really pray up. Get ready. Because it's going to be a doozy. But do you ever get that text message? No, in fact, often what happens is you're like, Tuesday's going to be a great day. Schedule's clear. Got some free time. This is going to be a wonderful day. So what do you do? You mentally take the armor off because you're like, hey, it's vacation time, man. It's going to be easy. I'm going to be running around with this stuff. And at that moment, the war strikes and you go, uh, what do I do? What do I do? Paul's saying, guys, wake up. You're always at battle. Always. You put that armor on and you wear it 24-7. You put that armor on and you be ready to fight for the Lord every day, every moment. Always be prepared. This thought process that we can sometimes just chill. This thought process that we can just sometimes go on vacation or that we can just kind of relax. No. You are behind enemy lines. Always. Doesn't mean there's not joy. Doesn't mean there's not fun. If you've ever talked to a soldier who's been behind enemy lines, they'll tell you. Some days are bad and some days are good. But what you always know is, at any moment... The fight could break out. Doesn't mean they don't laugh. Doesn't mean they don't tell stories. Doesn't mean they have great times. It's just they're always on guard. Always. And that's how Paul wants his people to be. Knowing that they're at war. Knowing that they should be ready. Look at Ephesians 6.12. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. This is an important thing for you to remember. What Paul's saying here is, your enemies are neither human beings. You and I, we don't see deep enough. We tend to think the enemy is the guy who broke into the car, or the jerk at work who makes your life hard. No. Those people are just pawns. You're really fighting Lucifer and his spiritual powers. You're really fighting Satan who day in and day out looks to devour you. And why this is important, brothers and sisters, is it goes back to the way we think. If you and I are going first and foremost off of our own abilities, when we come toe-to-toe with this enemy, we will lose. 
we will get demolished. I mean, this would be like me taking my two-year-old and dropping him behind enemy lines in Afghanistan and going, go son. He doesn't even understand what's happening. He doesn't know what war is. He doesn't know why we're fighting. He doesn't know how to use any of the instruments or tools. He would be completely and utterly lost. And so some of us are foolish enough to think we can stand toe-to-toe with Satan on our own accord and go bring it. No. Satan was the king of the angels, the most beautiful and most powerful of them. He is not only an angel which is above and beyond us, he's the best of them. And when he fell, he took legions with him. He's been around since the beginning of creation and he has watched millions of people live lives. He knows you. He knows your weaknesses. He knows your temptations. He knows the buttons to push. He knows all those things and he has played this game far more times than you have. The reason Paul says this is not to scare you but to remind you, don't fight this on your own. If you fight with Christ, Christ crushes him. Christ destroys him. Throughout all of Scripture, that's made clear to us. Christ wipes the floor with Satan. But man, man will lose to Satan. And so the reason it's so important for you and I to realize Jesus is our power source, and I go to him first and foremost, is because the moment we stop doing that, this battle turns. The moment we're not using his ability and we're going in our own, this gets ugly. And that's what Paul's trying to remind his people of. Because some of them, just like us, thousands of years ago, were walking down the road going, I'm a Christian now, this is going to be easy. And all of a sudden, life was coming at them. And they were getting knocked down, they were getting hit by the world, and they were going, what is happening? And Paul's going, don't forget you're at war. And don't forget, you need to use what God has given you. Don't do this on your own. Don't do it on your own. Always remember you're at war with a dangerous enemy. Always. Don't forget that. Each and every day you have someone who is focused on stopping you from getting to the gates of heaven. Each and every day you have someone stopping you or trying to stop you from spreading the gospel, from making disciples, from glorifying God, from doing the things that you were made to do. And what that means is, there's no days off. Every day you're pushing forward. Every day you're fighting. You can't give in. Look at it with 2 Corinthians chapter 10. Second Corinthians chapter 10, verses 3 through 6, it says this. For though we walk in the flesh, we are not waging war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God, and take every thought captive to obey Christ, being ready to punish every disobedience when your obedience is complete. What's he saying? Your enemy is not the people of this world. It is Satan. That's an important thing for us to remember. Because once we start having that perspective, do you know what it opens us up to? It opens us up to loving our enemies. Because what we start to realize is, yes, they may do things that hurt me, but they don't even understand the game they're part of. 
They're at pawns in a much bigger game they don't even understand. They're just trying to live life to the best that they know how. And sometimes that means stepping on me. The real enemy is the one who's driving them. The real enemy is the one that's taught them to live the way they live. And so really my anger is not directed at them, it's directed at Satan. For them I have love. Because I hope that one day their eyes will be opened. I have hope that one day they will see this world works in a totally different way. I hope that one day they will see that Christ offers a new life and a new way. So this is an important thing for us to understand. 1 Peter 5.8 Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary the devil prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Stay vigilant. Always stay vigilant. At any moment, he can strike. Now, if you're empowered by Christ and you have that armor on, when he strikes, you will stand there firmly and victoriously. If you're doing those two things. 6.13 Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all, to stand firm. Take up the armor so you're ready for the fight. Key point, you can be victorious. You can absolutely be victorious in this. Just don't leave the power and the tool sitting on the side and you disconnect it. This is never a question of whether God is giving you what you need to be victorious. It's only a question of, are you using what He's given you? One of my favorite stories is in Matthew chapter 4. In Matthew chapter 4, we see Jesus himself tempted by Satan. What I find unique about the story and telling about the story is that Christ doesn't dismiss him right away. There's actually this battle that occurs, and it's not a fist fight, but it's a spiritual battle based in the Word. And Satan comes and says, Hey, turn this rock into bread you can do anything you want to do. And Jesus goes, yes, but the Word tells me that I don't live just by bread alone, but by the Word of God. Then he takes him to this tower and he says, throw yourself off, because the Bible says if you're truly the Messiah, the angels will come and save you. And Jesus goes, true. But it also says, don't put your father to the test. And then he comes and he says, if you will worship me, I will give you all these kingdoms of the world. And he doesn't doubt his ability to give them the kingdoms, but instead he says, I am only to worship my Father. And then finally, he looks at Satan and he just tells him, be gone. And I love it because there's no, there's no comment or comeback from Satan. It displays the whole way this power structure works. The moment Jesus is done and goes, be gone, Satan runs. He just runs. It's the same thing that happens in Revelation. There's this battle of Armageddon and Satan gathers his armies and Jesus gathers his armies and you're ready for this knockdown, drag out battle. And then what happens? Jesus makes one motion and they all die. They're like, whoa, I thought we were going to get like an epic third act battle here that was going to last pages and pages. No. When Jesus says it's done, it's done. But, notice... 
even for him, there was battles to fight. Though in the end he was victorious, there were still those different tests that he had to face, and that for God's reasons and purposes, he wanted there to be an exchange. Brothers and sisters, the same will be true of your life. There will be moments that in the power and the might of Christ, with the armor on, you will go toe-to-toe with your enemy, and you will fight. But there will come a moment when finally God goes, I'm done with this. And He will tell your enemy, be gone. And He will run. That's the faith we have. That's the hope we have. But what I hope you take from this is, don't be confused when the fight comes to your door. Don't be confused and don't be afraid. You've been empowered. You've been equipped. And if you use those things, you will be victorious. But you must trust in Him first. You must let Him be that vine that fills you with His power, with His love, and with His ability. Don't lean on your own. Doing that will only lead to failure. Now what we're going to do over the next few weeks is we're going to break down each piece of that armor. Because if you look at the end of chapter 6, Paul describes to us exactly each of the components that Christ has given us so that we can be equipped for this fight. And I think it's important for each and every one of us, if those are going to be the instruments and tools that we use daily to fight and to be victorious, we should understand them, we should know them, we should respect them, and we should be learning to use them each and every day. So that's what we have coming for us. I'm going to ask at this moment where you're at, let's just go to the Lord in prayer. If you've got something heavy on your heart, you put that to Him. If you don't have something heavy on your heart, I'm going to encourage you to pray to God to give you the right perspective. And that perspective is, you go to Him first, not last. You seek His will, not yours. He is Lord and your servant. Take a few moments where you're at to pray. Maria will come up in a few moments to lead us in our closing song.